When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned-out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 909. This episode is brought to you by Tor Books, the proud publishers of Anonymous by Annalie Newitz, uh, described by Neil Stevenson as being, uh, to biotech and AI, what Neuromancer was to the internet, and also praised by William Gibson as genuinely thrillingly new. Uh, Autonomous explores a fundamental question. Is freedom possible in a culture where everything can be owned? So a little bit of the story. Earth 2144, Jack, an anti-patent patent scientist turned drug pirate, traverses the world in a submarine fabricating cheap drugs for poor people who can't otherwise afford them, but her latest hack has left a trail of lethal overdoses and people becoming addicted to their work, doing repetitive tasks until they go insane or die. So that's just a taste. Don't miss Autonomous, the highly anticipated science fiction debut from the founder of io9, available now wherever books are sold. Um, do you have anything for the Nerdist Community Corkboard? I do. I have a couple things. Well, let's corkboard it up. <laughs> so this first one is one that is from me, and it's just uh, about the fires that are happening in Northern California right now. Sure. Very close to my hometown, uh, Santa Rosa, Sonoma, Napa. They're, they're really close to where I grew up. I spend a lot of time there. I have friends, family there, and there. It's just it's so beautiful up there, and I really love it. But right now, they are all on fire. More than 100,000 acres are burning. Entire neighborhoods, stores, farms, wineries have been burned to the ground, and the fires are still growing and barely contained. Officials are up there in need of donations and supplies for the people who have lost their homes and have been evacuated because thousands of people had to be evacuated. And uh, there are donation sites in Petaluma, Marin, San Francisco, and across the Bay. Uh, You can find organizations and donation sites at, and I made tiny URLs for this, tinyurl.com slash firehelp1 and tinyurl.com slash firehelp2. And those just take you to like the ABC seven uh the local stations up there also animal shelters up there have been taken have taken in a lot of displaced pets and are in need of donations and fosters so if you are able to help out uh, please contact marine humane society milo foundation rocket dog rescue sonoma humane society napa county animal shelter petaluma animal shelter and if you have large animals because there's a lot of ranches and sure, farms sure. you can take uh those animals to the sonoma county fairgrounds where they have uh holding for them now Excellent. And then one more thing. Uh, this is kind of fun. So, you know, our, the mountain lion that lives in the Hollywood Hills here, P-22? Is that, oh, that yeah, that's his that's, official name? that's his official name. Well, uh, in celebration of Urban Wildlife Week, uh, L.A. has made October 22nd P-22 Day. <laughs> 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 so uh, in Griffith Park, they're going to have a uh, kind of like a festival on October 22nd from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. There's going to be live music, 
food. They'll have like a cutout. Is cut P22 out. headlining? Is he going to DJ? I hope so. That'd be great. I look for him every time I hike up in Griffith Park. I'm like, maybe I'll see my friend. Are you P22. just going to have like the headphones on? Yeah. <laughs> They'll have a cardboard cutout of him you can take a picture with. Uh, I got uh, P22 on Tinder. It was awesome. <laughs> but it sounds super great. You can find more info at urbanwildlifeweek.org. And uh, definitely check that out if you live in LA. It's going to be fun. Fantastic. I mean, I guess, does the mountain lion show up? He's probably not going to show He's up. He's not going to. I know some people that have seen him. I wish I had seen him. I look for him. But I feel it's like. He's chill. He's just like <laughs> hanging out. Like, it's, almost like, it's almost like saying like Bill Murray's in the area. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, you may see him. You may not see him. Well, my favorite was, remember like a while ago, like a few years ago, he was like in the crawl space under someone's house up in Los Feliz and like someone was getting work done and this worker went under there and they saw him and they were trying to get him out and they were like just going about it all the wrong way because if you've ever had a cat and he's sleeping you just leave him the fuck alone and right. leave and they were like trying to actively get him out and I was like none of you guys have ever had a cat <laughs> like no. just go away and he will leave a cat will go <laughs> into another location when it feels compelled yes. Sometimes yes. slowly, sometimes immediately. Yeah. But it'll But it'll if happen. you harass it, he's definitely not going to move. He's, he's going to stay not there gonna... just to spite you. Yeah, he, yeah, because he's just trying to piss you off. Yeah. He's just, he's thinking, fuck you. I remember watching the news being like, none of you have had cats. You can't tell me what to do. I'm a fucking mountain lion. <laughs> uh, so wait, is that yarn? Okay, because if you're bringing yarn into the equation, you probably would like it's totally yarn. separate. But like a massive ball a of mass, yarn. Like the yeah. biggest ones on the, the side of the room. Yeah, huge, huge, huge ball of yarn. Um, I also want to promote that at the end of October, I'll be at the American Comedy Company in San Diego for four shows. And uh, November 8 through 10, I will be at Caroline's in New York for New York Comedy Festival. So oh, if you awesome. go to Caroline's website, you can get tickets there or American Comedy Company for San Diego. Um, so get all that. And I think I'm actually going to Portland in December. Maybe Helium in Portland in December. So those are some upcoming stand-up dates. Please join me. I literally can't do stand-up without you. Um, <laughs> The, this episode is Jason Blum, who is the founder of Blumhouse, which has made more movies <laughs> that you probably love than uh, than maybe you realize. Most recently, Get Out. Yes, uh, they produce. You know, they produced and distributed Get Out, and uh, you know, my wife Lydia and I watch a ton of horror, and so we watch Blumhouse movies. All the time. And so I thought, I got to have that guy on the podcast because he's been doing, you know, he created this model uh, a long time ago. It was very forward thinking, very uh, unique thing that he's created. He really recognized uh, horror yeah. as, you know, as a, as a real genre and has generated some incredible masterpieces oh, yeah. uh, in the modern horror landscape. So like, I got to have that guy on. You know, I mean, I heard he has a mobile office and he like he kind of travels around so through all busy. the different things because he's so busy. And I also like having other busy workaholics on because I just like to see like you can relate to them. I can yeah. I can relate to them. See how uh, they do it. Too, see, right? see how they do it, too. And I have to say he was fucking awesome. The second he came in, we just bonded. We just he's just a fucking great guy. And uh, and also, you know, when you meet successful people. You go, okay, I get it. This was not an accident. <laughs> you you have created all this. I mean, I just have yeah. so much respect for people who have a vision and they stick to it and they work and they make their thing. 
And, you know, and he's, you know, you, 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 you could do that. You know, use that as an example out there if you're on the fence about trying to figure out how to do something. You know, look at someone like Jason. Be inspired. Go make your own thing. Carve your own path. He carved his own path in a time where it was not common what he, what he ended up doing. So, uh, anyway, uh, Happy Death Day is the next Blumhouse movie. Lydia and I saw it. It's fucking great. It's like Murder Groundhog Day. Uh, it's in theaters Friday the 13th. How perfect! It just couldn't be more perfect. <laughs> and so, uh, and this is really great. Jonah showed up for this one because yes, Jonah's, Jonah's also here. a horror fan. And uh, so it's it's almost you know it's one one sister wife showed up, and uh, and and it was really fun. And, and and some there were there were some phenomenal and interesting developments throughout the course of this podcast, which I'm not going to spoil, but you will hear them, <laughs> and you will hear more about them in the in the in the near near future. So there you go. Uh, here's the Nerdist podcast number nine zero nine. With Jason Blum of Blumhouse, Katie, roll the thing. How long do I do this for? Now entering Nerdist.com. Everyone in my life who's much younger and cooler and hipper than me is like my brother. It's like, oh my fucking, oh, of everything I've done, New York Times, everything else, no one gives a shit. But you, my friend, I mean, my whole, all my assistants, like everyone. I am it, so glad to hear that. It is. You are, you are, you are wildly relevant in this world. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that because I, uh, you know, Pretty much all my wife and I watch are horror. That's all we watch. <laughs> yeah. And my wife is kind of the awesome. like she's kind of the ambassador for Scream Fest in LA and she collects horror movie props. And she was in South of Hell, oh which my God, which right. you produced. That's right. Yes, exactly. And so oh my uh, God, that's right. You know, so I it was sometimes I forget I because now when I started the podcast, I would just ask friends to do it. And then I hired Deb to book it. And sometimes I forget I can just ask people to do the podcasts because she just pitches. She goes, oh, this person, well, can, this person. Can I, I mean, can I be so bold as to offer you a tiny bit of advice? Please. Wherever you guys are aiming, aim way higher. <laughs> I mean, I would go Obama because no. believe me, his kids. Has he already been on? He's, He's not been on. Been on no. uh, uh, because his kids would be so thrilled for him to be on. This. It, we, we had uh, Al Gore was on a few weeks ago. Al Gore's pretty We're good. Obama's next. Tom Hanks a couple Tom Hanks, times. That's like America's president. America's president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, would say, I would say Obama and the Pope. The, the Pope, the, Pope, Pope, the other one. The Pope, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Pope. I like the Pope. You know, I'm going to go bigger and say Tom Hanks is humanity's president. Humanity's president? Yeah, if humanity yeah. had a president, it would, it would be, be Tom Hanks. It would yeah, be Tom yeah. Hanks, oh, I think. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing <laughs> that. How did he do? Uh, he was amazing. Was he good? Yeah. He was as Tom Hanksy as you'd want him to oh, be. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. Yeah, he was great. We have an inter- I have an interesting Tom Hanks story. So we um, optioned this book a long time ago called Stoner, mm-hmm. which is a novel by John Williams. And um, it's an amazing novel, and it's basically an impossible movie. The book was an it's an impossible movie to make, but I loved it, and we've we've held on to it for for eight years. And finally, this incredible writer named Andrew Bavell wrote an adaptation, which actually works as a terrific movie. And we're putting it together now. Tom Hanks always loved this book, and we approached him. That his story doesn't really have an end, except it's my only Tom Hanks story. <laughs> and we approached him to uh, 
to, to, to do stoner with us many times over the years, and he never did it, but it was always very, very kind and very polite, and, and I'm looking forward to finally showing him this, uh, this movie of what he, what he says is his favorite book. Wow. Can I give you some advice? Please. Send him an old typewriter. That's how we got him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, we sent true? him an old ti- yeah. He collects old-timey typewriters. And you sent him an old typewriter? We sent him an old-timey typewriter. Did, you, was it a special one? Where'd you find it? Uh, it was just a, I mean, it was just something that it was found on the internet, just right. like, a, like a really cool old... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, his office at Corona. Plato just has a wall of it's. It's like a wall of half records, half typewriters. So I, mean, I should have sent that with the script. Well, yeah. he responded. This was the most Tom Hanksy response: is that we sent him the typewriter, and I sent him a note and said, "Hey, would you please come on the podcast? Here's a typewriter." And his response was typed on the typewriter. Oh my god! And at first, he was like, "How dare you think you can bribe me with this?" Amazing, <laughs> yeah. you know. And he was like, He's "All like, right, oh, damn you to hell!" Oh, boy, the action on this thing. It was like that was the most Tom Hanksy response. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But then, of Amazing. course, when we told that story publicly, then I'm sure the the poor guy was, you know, like, oh, like I'm sure a truck backed up and buried him in typewriters yeah. where people wanted him. To He's do in shit. that documentary that's out right now, American Typewriter. Oh, he is. Oh, yeah, is yeah, he yeah. He's got. Have you ever used the Hanks Writer app? He has an app in the App Store that is an old timey typewriter oh, app called kidding. Hanks Writer. Oh my god! Yeah, that'll turn your key. Board into an old time. What's terror. the fascination with? Oh, did, did he say what is the? He just, I mean, I don't know. He just, no, he, just he, yeah. Like, it's just like he likes know, old timey stuff. Like he likes you know, like just. I mean, if you think about like that thing you do, he likes that era of like you know, for like sure stuff and for records sure. and music. Sure. And, yeah, cool. and and yeah. there's a really cool artistry to old typewriters. They're really you yeah, know in a, in a pre electronic era. They were you know mechanisms like really cool mechanisms. There's one guy left in New York who. Who fig- I'm sure, by the way, Tom knows him. I'm sure. Uh, one guy in New York, he's right off Union Square, and I don't collect old typewriters, but I have one, and it's never worked, and I've always wanted it to work. I, about a couple of years ago, I took it to this store. It was the only store. It's on the fifth floor, and they're, he's like the expert, the, the, the last expert in New York City of old typewriters, this guy. They're all over the place. I'm well, sure they're yeah. friends. There can't be too many. I'm telling you, the next time you want Tom Hanks to do a script, have someone type it out on an old-timey typewriter, typewriter <laughs> and send it to him, and I'll bet you... <laughs> He might actually. <laughs> yeah, well, Joe, Joe, Joe Wright is directing it, so I'm going to tell Joe. I'm going to tell Joe and Andrew. Maybe they should retype, uh, retype the script and try again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I mean that's how they used to have to do copies anyway. Yeah. You know, someone redo it. Send it to him. You know, just like a couple of little liquid paper with the that that weird smudge where oh you type God. over the yeah, liquid, paper. liquid paper where you keep hitting the key. where you keep hitting yeah. it and it yeah. just looks like someone stepped on a cake. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah like exactly. right in the middle there. Or just mess it up completely and get him a, like a word processor from the mid '80s. Right. And go, I heard you like typing things. Here you no, go. That's not the right era. <laughs> then he'll never talk to me again. Yeah, yeah, 1880s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I really fucked that yeah. up. An 1880s word processor is just a guy that knows a lot of words. <laughs> that's, that's all yeah. it is. Yeah, it's just a guy. But I'm so glad to have you on because you you really, uh, I mean, I, I it, it's rare that I ever have to do this, but I actually saved a list of everything that you've been involved with. Oh, God. It's, it's going it, to give me a headache. But I'm oh, so Jesus. fascinated by what you've built and your process and what made you in you know around the year 2000 say hey i think there's really a a market market for genre based micro budget films yeah, when yeah. the rest of the industry didn't really seem like it was necessarily going that way and no, so what didn't. was it you know what was it that had First of all, you're a Los Angeles native, which is a very rare animal. Oh, thank They're very, very rare. rare. It's very yes. rarely that you meet people that are not transplants. Now yeah. it's true. Where it's did true. you grow up? I was born in L.A. I moved to the East Coast, though, when I was four years old. So in 1973, I was born here in 1969. In 1973, moved to New York. I lived in a little little town called Hamilton. And then I moved to uh, 
a smaller little, a bigger little town called Dobbs Ferry, which was in Westchester. Dobbs Ferry? And my dad lived in Manhattan, and well, that, I, that, I went uh, back and forth. That sounds like, like the a, setting of a horror film. Yeah, that seems like but I, You know what? Uh, Dobbs Ferry really, it, it was the setting of a horror film. It def- definitely was. We were, our house was robbed in Dobbs Ferry. That was kind of a scene from a horror movie, but for sure, for sure, yes. Jeez. Yeah, what things aren't the same down in they Dobbs took, Ferry. They took the, the worst thing for a nine-year-old kid. Video game? They took my Atari. Yep. Mm. And they took my fireworks. No. Which were illegal and hidden. That's what they took. Like, they were chasing so, the joint. They were kids. Yeah, yeah. So it was obviously kids. They took my Atari and my fireworks. And I remember it like it was really yesterday. That's really it fucked up. It was horrible. Did they I take mean, all the games? The fireworks. Yeah, they took all my cartridges. No. They took all my cartridges. They took my Atari. And they took my fireworks, which were illegally bought. I think I got them in Washington, D.C. at the time. Fireworks were – and my cousins lived there. We drove a whole bag of fireworks, which I saved like Halloween candy. Like I'd light one at night because I was a crazy pyromaniac. And they took my fireworks. God That's damn it. Oh, they really knew, did, you, did you, you know suspect your, your, any of your friends or anyone in the neighborhood? We knew who did it. Oh, yeah? yeah we found out who did it. Yeah. yeah. And you they do? weren't my friends. Well, but we, they lived literally two blocks away. Yeah. And I would drive by their house all the time and there was it was like there, we lived in a not great part of town and it was like low level mobby it wasn't really the mafia because that sounds too grand it, it is too grand <laughs> but it was like low level mobby kind of thing and anyway there was this it was this family and they were there and the kids were there and they'd look at me and I'd look at them and we all knew it but there was nothing we could do because you know I was worried about getting beat up you know what <laughs> you should do is at the end of all the bl- you know your bl- your Blumhouse card on films just be where's my Atari motherfucker <laughs> you should yeah. put that person's yeah. Name up there on every one yeah, of your no, films. Fireworks going off person. behind it. Yeah. That's a different person. Oh, that's oh. a different person. And his name is Eugene Grace. <laughs> I hope he's listening. He is the person who picked on me and beat me up to near death so in high school. Literal bully and actually stole your Atari. He no, he didn't sell it. No, I'm saying. The person who I would put on the movie. Oh, I got you. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy. The guy who stole my fireworks and my Atari. I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, I was 10 years old. I'm over. The f- guy who beat me up when I was 13, still not over that yet. You yeah. never, you know, this comes up a lot on the podcast. And, and, I, and the more, the more, I almost feel like I'm, I'm doing research. But everyone, whenever you are, whatever age you are about when you hit puberty is sort of, Whatever, whatever the identity that you have as your your it's internal so identity for the rest of your life, so true. So that kid, it's so true. You're constantly servicing that kid for yeah. the rest yes, of I your am. life. Yes, I am. And so to hear oh, you say yes, that, you know who your bully is. You know what he did to you. <laughs> yes. And every time you do something, it's like fuck you, Grace. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And to that, the answer to your question, that is what. That's why I feel I have to do so much. I have to make so many. I can never stop because I'm always trying to make up for it and always trying to get that kid back. That's and if you saw that guy, <laughs> if, if he's not dead. If you saw that guy, I mean, it's very possible he's not alive anymore. But if no, he is alive. My friend, my I have this great one of my closest friends whose name is John Sherman, okay. and John Sherman is a is a is a spectacular. He's he's a great writer, and that's what he does. But he's also really good at deep dives on the internet. And John Sherman found out a lot about Eugene Grace. He's still alive. He, I went to a fancy after I went to like a public school. I went to public school till eighth grade. Um, and then I went to a fancy boarding school, and Jean Grace, Eugene Grace the Third, I think his full name is, is from a fancy family. And there was lawsuits about the family that John turned up on the internet, which oh, I was so psyched about. Oh, that's yes, awesome. they're suing each other for money. <laughs> By the way, oh. maybe the only bully in history named Eugene. I know. Do yeah. you believe that? <laughs> he might. How about, be... how about I got beat up by Eugene? Yeah, like a fancy how lad. How bad is that? Yeah. And the truth is, <laughs> when I was in high school. And I'm not saying this for effect, and I'm not saying this because it makes a, makes a, makes a good story, uh, although it does. It, it is the truth, which is that 
and it wasn't so much true my sophomore year, but my freshman year, and there was a specific event that triggered this, which I may or may not get into, but the, my freshman year, there was like, you know how there's like the really popular kids and then they, there's the kids that no one cares about and then they're like the drama kids and then there's like then there's like kind of the losers who kind of hang out together and kind of support each other and then there's one kid who's not even in the loser group yeah that was me yeah yes, that was me that yeah was me. That but was you know me. I have to say I was I was I, I I was talking about the I was I was giving a talk at a tech conference and tech talk it was not a tech talk. Uh, recode? Recode? It was not, it was not recode. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Strike two. Strike two, for God's sake. No, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, but, uh, but I was talking about how – now, not, and, I, and I don't mean like, like hardcore physical bullying where you're afraid to go to school. But I actually kind of weirdly appreciate the social ostracizing that I experienced in grade school because I feel like it forced me to – kind of gain an awareness and be like have an internal monologue and sort of force me to deal with myself and it really did drive me to want to accomplish things in a weird way yeah, yeah, now yeah. i'm not saying you know if i had a kid i wouldn't want them to have to go through it right but i kind of don't regret that it happened to me because i feel like I, it it did help stoke some fires that mm-hmm. you know where'd you go to grade school uh, i went my i moved a few times but Initially in Memphis, Tennessee, and then in Denver, and then in Los Angeles. Public school? No, I went to I went to I went to private school. Yeah, <laughs> private school. But um, but it but it was uh, you know there was something about it that was very motivating, and somehow it never became. I mean, I was I never feared for my life. I know that like you know like physical bullying and really and yeah. and what's going on with bullying now is now it's like at least you could escape it when you got home now people can just fucking track you down on the internet yeah. and continue the bullying but uh but at the time it was you know Eugene was in the latter category though I hate to say he it would was, follow you around no no the physical like it was too, it was too oh. it was over the top yeah not to bring us have all you talked down. to him no, since no. have you talked to him since <laughs> i i met i met one of my bullies when you go back and you kind of realize how broken these bully kids were and like what shit piles their lives were you just almost you can't be upset about it anymore because you go oh like i met uh there was a one girl who like was just brutal brutal and i met her you know i met up with her again like 20 years later and she and i was expected to be like you were really fucking mean to me you know like i'm still that kid and she goes hey before we hang out i just want you to know i was a real bitch in school and i wow. apologize it's like my wow. parents were having a rough time and i was wow. really Wow. Having a rough time, and I just, I just want you to know that you know I'm really sorry about that. And I was like, wow. oh, well, oh, good yeah. then. <laughs> I, I didn't really have. A- I had three bullies in a, a private Catholic school I went to, and then I went to public school, and it was I was safe. I was kind of in like a losers like the losers the group. Yeah, yeah, and like it was, was like, that sophomore year, I got into the losers group. Yeah, and it was oh, and it was like it's like scraps. It's yeah, like yeah, no one, no one's yeah. really the same. Yeah, it's like yeah, there's like yeah. a skater kid that doesn't hang out with the other skaters. There's a surfer kid. It's that a just lambda, lambda, lambda. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's it's all the variety pack of weirdos. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but like, so I got I got away from like my bullies, uh, and then um, but like you know. Like I went to hang out at my cousin's house, and uh, she's like, "Oh, I have some friends coming over," and it was all three of my bullies. Uh, and they walked in, and they saw me, and they're like, they're, "And they uh, like, they're like, what is he doing here?" He's like, "That's my cousin." They're like, "What?" Oh, 
And then they're like, man, we wouldn't have beat you up if we knew <laughs> that your cousin was La Anna. I go, yeah. But now that, that we've already, but now that these are the terms of our arrangement, we yeah, gotta kick the shit out was, of you. It was pretty terrible. I, it's funny. It's hard to talk about them as like bullies because like, everyone, what were your bully names? Because it's like you know, it was like it's you know, Eugene. It's like very, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like mine were. It's like they're all like Samoan guys. So it's all like, Tui, Toa, and Tupu were my my those three bullies. Those are good bullies. Those are great those bullies. Are great yeah. bullies. Yeah. I mean, those that sounds tough. Well, one time I was talking about everyone was talking about old bullies, and they're like, well, you just sound racist. I go, no, it was just the circumstances of living in Hawaii. Like, just, <laughs> that's how it was. That's how it was. Yeah, they just happened to be that and I yeah, just happened yeah, to be this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just happened to be a Portuguese guy. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so this makes me wonder that in in the in the slate of Blumhouse films, do you ever look at a script and you, if there, are there any characters that Sort of remind you of your bullies, where you're like, uh, kill that one extra hard, you know. <laughs> Make sure <laughs> the Ouija board really rips that guy's soul in right. half. No, not no one. No one reminds me of Eugene Grace, but I do think that experience, like you said, definitely shapes the decisions that I made along the way, and like trying to prove stuff. And you know, there's good parts about that, and not so good parts about that. Mm. Um, but they definitely um, they help make the business successful for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now you're hoping they're going to your movies and getting scared and embarrassing themselves by screaming in the theater. It's going to be so funny if Eugene Grace actually re- reaches out to you after this oh podcast God. and oh says, "So you're, you're going to get one of two things. You're either going to get, I am, I am so sorry. You're going to get, yeah, because if you if you went around that guy and he was still that way." You would have a difficult time, like you would immediately revert to grade school. I'd want to punch him. I know what he'd say. I, I think. Well, I have a, I have a story for you. Okay. So, uh, and I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and make it quick. So there was this one thing that happened, which which was a really bad thing. About eight weeks into my freshman year, which kind of drove me really out of just into Loserville. And I really hated my – I hated boarding school. I really hated it. I actually lived my freshman – my junior year, I lived in France for a year just to get out of it. And I really hated it. I had no contact with my school at all. But when I'm 48 now, when I was in my late 30s, um, I had this super hot girlfriend and things were going on. And I was the producer of Paranormal Activity and I had a little story in the New York Times magazine. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go back to Taft and I'm going to show these guys who's boss, right? And I'm – they're all married like at 38 or 40. They're all married. You know, They're all with their wives. I'm with my hot girlfriend and we have dinner with them and I'm looking at the these people and it was like going exactly as planned. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm basically I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. The ego is surging. The ego is surging. Exactly. The ego is surging. And I go to bed. I go, I go to sleep in this hotel and wake up and then next day I'm showing my girlfriend you know the dorm room where I lived in and this place and that place and da 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 and this the group of the four or five hot senior girls uh, starts kind of walking this way and I'm, I'm friendly with them now like it's like it's not they, they, they was, it was fine with them and then one of the guys uh, <laughs> one of the guys who was who was kind of in the group that he wasn't as bad as Eugene, but his, his name was George Moore, and he, I, there's a story about this. So George Moore comes up the other way, and the girls are here, and George looks at me, and I look at George, and here's Tara, and I'd seen George last night, and George goes, "Remember this thing that happened? It involved X lax." He goes, "Remember the <laughs> remember remember the remember the X lax?" God, and he goes, "Remember the X lax?" And I, I, I was propelled into a time machine to 20 years prior, yeah. and the room stopped. And my girlfriend, the girlfriend, my girlfriend knew the X Lack story. It was like I'm not embarrassed about it, but it's just was like the way he did it. He just cut me down, and the senior girls were there, and the girl was here, and the world stopped, 
And I was so intense. And I just felt like I was 13 again and being picked on again. And as soon as the words left George's mouth, to his credit, he realized it was a terrible thing to say. And he felt terrible. No. I left the school. I went with Tara. I said, I can't stay for, I have to leave. We had to leave. I, cu- I couldn't, I couldn't wow. finish alumni weekend. Yeah. Like it was done. <laughs> that was it. George wrote me a series of emails and then I saw him in an airport later and he was so apologetic. I almost it was like he felt so badly, but it wow. was an interesting, amazing thing to see how raw that still is. And you know is. what the great lesson about that Jeez. is that when you, and I think this just comes with age and wisdom, but when you um, go after like ego pursuits, it, that you can fall so hard yeah. because those are the ones where they can be so easily undone and and they hurt the most because you're already it, it, you're you're yes. presenting your you're ego exactly right. as your identity right you're and, exactly and, it, right. and the carpet can just get ripped, ripped out, out. And, <laughs> so and, and, and 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 my my therapist should have said all the time this is a, this is an ill conceived idea it was a totally stupid thing to do so I got what I deserved I think you're right in a way it's like you can't chase that it's, no, it's, it's the wrong a, thing it's, to it's do it's impossible at you're a certain 100% point you have right. to just go well. All right, yeah, I guess exactly, I am. You know, exactly. But at least this you're a hundred percent right. It could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse. But it could have been worse, and it was a great. It was a in a in a way that I could talk about, like you talked about um, your grade school experience. That experience overall, I'm very happy that it happened because it kind of it brought a lot of clarity to the situation, which is a lot of what you're saying is stop trying to, you know, stop trying to prove yourself for those dumb things. It was yeah. actually it was actually yeah. it was actually a very kind of. Healing, the whole thing with time was a healing experience. Right. And George was so, went over the top so many times and saying you felt so bad that that was, you know, it was a good, it was ultimately, it was, it was a healing experience. But the experience. truth is, you could be like 85 years old and someone would go, remember the X flags? <laughs> I would collapse. <laughs> I would collapse. Just everything would just, I just, everything. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But at that point, you might actually just start shitting your pants. That's true. Yeah, yeah, That's you true. Might just start shitting your pants. <laughs> But uh, but what an incredible! I mean, it, you know, it. I, I'm so fascinated by the the breadth of what you of what you do. That I mean, what was it? Because I know you'd been producing films for a few years at that point, but they weren't necessarily horror. They weren't horror movies, really. You were no, no comedy. art house. No, they were art, art, art house. They were movie, art no, movies that, that no one saw. I mean, they were well that people movies. That was earlier on. I were I was an executive till I was thirty. I worked at a little company called Arrow. Then I worked for Bob and Harvey from nineteen ninety five to two thousand. Yep. I really wanted to be have my own company, so I quit and started my own company in two thousand, which I definitely quit too early, and I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing, and all the kind of cliches around doing that were true for me. I was just in way over my head. I produced seven art house movies, you know, six of which nobody saw, one of which was kind of a little bit successful. I was super frustrated. And when Harvey um, left the Disney company and started the Weinstein company, I was going to go work for him running production. And, the, the, and, and I, was, I was like, I can't be an independent producer anymore. I'm going to go back to work for Harvey. I can't take it. And it fortuitously happened that Brad Gray was at Paramount at the same t- – just started at Paramount at the same time Harvey was doing that. And Brian Lord, who I've, who's been kind of a mentor to me, said, you got to go sit down with Brad Gray even though you've never met him. And I met Brad and Brad made this incredible producing deal for me at Paramount. And I was – which I took because I got to be my own boss, right. and I got to have my own company. But I got money, so I didn't have to, you know, drive around my drive my own scripts around, which is what I was doing. And um, and so I so I went to work at Paramount, and then I'm about to answer your question. And then I really focused on trying to make a big movie. And the first big movie I made was The Tooth Fairy with mm-hmm. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Right. And um, the experience of making a big movie. 
any big movie just wasn't what I had thought. It was just because there's so much money at stake. It's just very political, and it, it was it was it was not what I had hoped it to be. And I had the, again got super lucky that we bumped into Paranormal Activity around the same time that the Tooth Fairy came out. I'd been so now I was in my mid 30s. I'd been working in the business for about 15 years. I'd spent half of those, that time in independent cinema, half of that time kind of in studio. And Paranormal Activity was like this awesome mix. It was the ultimate independent movie released by the most traditional way, which is a big studio released by Paramount. Right. And I was really lucky that I had kind of had all the experience that I had before Paranormal. I think I, I don't wish anyone a hit when they're, you know, 25 or younger. I think it's such a – I'm so glad I didn't have Paranormal Activity at 25. There would be no Blumhouse if I did for sure. Um, Do you think but, you would have self-destructed? I definitely would have self-destructed. Like your the Hollywood tells you if you have a hit, go make an expensive movie. And I'm sure if I had had Paranormal Activity at 25, I would have tried to produce World War Z. And you know, I might have been a producer, but I wouldn't have had this fun company that's yeah. which is really what I love doing. Um, so anyway, the answer to your question is that lead up and then having Paranormal. It was just again, it was super, super. I was super fortunate to have that sequence of events happen in that over that time period and after paranormal instead of chasing expensive movies i said hey i think there's a business in independent movies released by studios in super low budget movies released made totally off the grid released in a most in the most traditional way and really that's still you know our our business is really half tv and half movies but on the movie side that's still the the fundamental model of what we're doing yeah and horror is a good genre for that because it it, it, horror is real, and not you know. As a horror fan, what you accept about horror is that a small percentage of horror movies are going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are fun, but when, but it's sort of like you you sort of trudge through everything because you know when you see an amazing one, it's just it fucking blows you away, right? Because because right. what makes a really good horror movie is is there's there's a cleverness to it. It's mm-hmm. like how did they with not a lot of money manage to scare the shit out of you? I think you know big time special effects fuck up a horror movie. Totally agree. And uh, totally and agree. I thought it did a really nice job of of sort of balancing what what were some practical effects with with just a little bit of CG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but the CG did in a horror movie from a, like a horror movie uh, like a stance like it's like the CG does take you out of like the reality uh, like enough to where it's a little less scary. Right. Yeah. Like it's like practical will always kind of like, like when they, when they did the when they did the re, when they did the reboot of Freddy Krueger it's like oh the original was so much scarier because it was practical yeah, like people through, yeah. through the thing. Yeah. But then when they did it in CG it's like oh that's not as scary. Wouldn't it know? even be cheaper now to have a guy push through a nylon? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, right. I don't. Right. If I'm right. more expensive to make that? it look worse. How hard is that just to get a PA to be like stick your face in that yeah. in that uh, sheet? Well, now, that's, just my, that's my. I mean, I just totally believe in every bone in my body that the that that lower budget for specifically for horror it's not true of all genres by any means but for horror is it just it's just much better the movies i always tell our directors no cgi got to do practical effects and do as little effects as possible and that makes the movies feel real and more grounded mm-hmm. and i think cg in horror movies is just they're immediately not scary right yeah. um so, so yeah, and I was thinking as you were talking, and I get asked a lot, like, why horror, why this, why that? And, and really, I, the, the driving force after Paranormal was this idea of, like, independent. Like, how can I call my own shots? You know, one of the things I do with studios always is I always say to them, if we go over budget, it's our 
it's on me. I'll pay for it if we go over budget because how can you have a dialogue with your financial partner around a movie and then say, oh, and say, let us be adults. Let us run this. Let us make the decision. Let us run the production. Let us make these decisions. And then if decisions don't work, say, oops, we made a mistake. Now, can we have a check for more money? Right. I mean, that, that drives me bananas. And I, and I, I have two, I really feel like, you know, our relationship with our financiers is much better because we're aligned in that way. And we're aligned in the, in the fact that I also fundamentally believe, and this does not just apply to horror, that movies benefit and the dialogue with your studio partner benefits enormously if your financial interests are aligned. So whether you're making a horror, any kind of movie, and by the way, I'm not, you know, I'm a minority in this thinking. We do it for all our movies, but it's not typical in Hollywood studio movies at all. But I think if you're the director and the producer and the actors and you say, we're only going to make money if the studio makes money, and you really have a deal that says the studio's in profit, you get a big piece of it, I feel like the conversation is much better. How can I sit, if you're running uh, X studio, and you've paid me $2 million to produce your movie, and I have the check in my bank account already, right? And you're going to now spend $150 million on the movie, two of which I have in my pocket. Right. And you're gonna, I'm going to now tell you what to do right. with your movie. Right. I feel like a fraud. Right. <laughs> I feel like a total fraud. Like, okay, I believe in myself so much about what I'm going to do that I got paid up front and you don't get paid until it makes money. Right. I can't sit and have that meeting. Especially that, for yeah. that. And that's why, that's why, like, that's why I was, uh, you know, Rob Zombie always talks about how he, he's like, yeah, I don't want to do a big $200 million movie because it's just too much. There's just too much at stake. There's too many people involved. I can't make the thing that I want. But it's sort of that, like, that Adult Swim model or that you know Louis C.K. FX model of like, For sure. hey, yeah. we're going to empower the creators, and we're, the investment is comparatively lower, so it's okay, you know, like it's okay to take a risk on it. Yeah, and then what you get is really kind of unfiltered, uh, you know, point of view driven pieces. Well, it's a little bit of a different point because because we're saying two slightly different things. I fundamentally, I would actually, I, I think there's a different issue with when a movie requires a hundred million dollars x the above the line you can't make a marvel movie for a lot less than a hundred million dollars and that's what you it would make no sense the audience wants to see a spectacle and they deliver spectacle better than anybody else and even if even if all the actors weren't making money the movies would still be expensive yeah so i think that's that's that leads to different problems because when you have to spend $100 million on a movie, regardless of the above the line, the storytelling has to have a broad appeal. And as soon as the storytelling has to have a broad appeal, some of us feel that the can it can often feel watered down. Sure. I think it's hard, the hardest thing in the world, yeah. much harder than a low-budget movie, the hardest thing in the world is to make a movie for $200 million that feels edgy and unique <laughs> yeah, and original. Right. Yeah. Like, right. That's really the hardest thing yeah. to I do. I think that's why Guardians was such a, I agree. an incredible, yeah. like, how did you... How did you do this? Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Because we knew, totally we knew James could make a really cool, intimate movie, right. but how do you scale that and maintain, you know... The, and make it for four quadru- quadrants and please all the audience that you right. get, that you're yeah. Being demanded to believe that you have to, as a responsible person, you must you must please them if you're spending that kind of money. How do you do that and make it edgy? That's really hard. And by yeah. the way, I saw Happy Death Day, and it's fucking great. Oh, good. You know, oh, I good. wanted to be mad at it because Groundhog Day is my favorite movie. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a it's horror Groundhog Day. God and then my it. wife and I watched it, and we're like, fuck, it's really 
Drake. <laughs> damn it! It's yeah. so well done. That's great. And it it have you have oh it hasn't been no it hasn't. I saw the trailer. Yet. I'm looking looking forward to it's it. It's so good. I'm gonna Friday I'm gonna the thirteenth October. Friday the thirteenth. Oh, fantastic! There we go. But it, there's but, my plug. But it <laughs> you know what's great about it is that it has. It has those perfect elements that a that a really great horror movie has, which is there. There's a mystery. Uh, you you buy into the mechanism, and it's funny. In and everyone in it's great. By the way, the lead actress is amazing. It's a really She's terrific. it's a really really terrific movie. Thank and you. and I and I I hope that it makes as much money as I think it's going to make because it is because I I want to see. Like that's that's a great horror movie. Oh, thank you. Top to thank bottom. You, thank you. Yeah, that's a I'm very for you to see. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I'm looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, yeah. That's a very that's a that's a perfect that's a movie that just checks every box of of Blumhouse. And the biggest the first 5 boxes on the Blumhouse list and and what built our company are the amazing um, artists that we work with. And, that, you know, whether it's Scott Derrickson on Sinister or James Wan on Insidious or James DeMonaco on the Purge movies. Um, and in this case, Chris Landon, I'd made four Paranormal Activity movies with him. I've known him for 10 years. He's the writer and director Jeez. of Happy Death Day. And he is a super, super duper talented guy. And he was a little undervalued. And I've thrown him every – I've been trying. I call him. I'm always saying, what, 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 what can we do? What can we do? What can he do? We finally landed on this. He, he was a li- he's slightly undervalued. And I've gotten – the company is built on that too. James Wan had done Saw and then had done two movies that hadn't worked so well. And, and we bet on him. And that's happened over and over and over again because I believe a person's career is not just their last movie but their body of work. And if you look at my body of work, I've had plenty of misses too. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you have to kind of look at the whole thing. Hollywood has a hard time doing that which I understand why they do, but we kind of think about it differently. And, um, and Chris is just like, he did such a good job with the movie. And really the movie, the movie is Chris's movie. You know, it was his vision, his writing, his, he really controlled all the creative aspects of the movie. And I'm, I'm so psyched about it and hopefully he'll do a lot more with him. Yeah. I mean, not, and not, it's just, even all the characters were so great. Like, it's like, you know, I don't know what to compare it to, but it, you know, it's just like all, all the all the characters were really strong. They had their own identities, and it didn't. They didn't just feel like uh, incidental. Yeah. Like every character had a really strong point of view, and it was just really fun. The movie's super fun. That's and great. I think I think people are gonna I think people are gonna dig it a lot. Well, you you and your wife understand. But if you if you look people look at horror movies cynically, always say like, what are the scares in the movie? But if you love horror movies, you know like the scares are kind of the easy part. The, what makes this scare scary is the characters and the acting yeah. and the story. And I f- firmly believe you should be able to remove the scares from a horror movie, and that movie should be able to work. On, on its own as a drama really well. Right. And I think when you have that, you have the making of a good of a good horror movie. But that, too, is kind of antithetical to kind of reverse engineering scary movies that happens a lot and usually results in not very good movies, I think. <laughs> right. Well, but, it, but you know, we get – I'm extra forgiving because we watch so many horror movies and I know how hard it is to make stuff. Yeah, to make anything. To make anything. So, yeah. you know, yeah. even if we're watching something and it's like, oh, it's 30 minutes in and nothing's really happened yet or – you know, there aren't those kind of tentpole scares throughout the movie that sort of keep the momentum going. I go, you know, yeah, maybe they had a budget problem or maybe <laughs> they're, they're very kind. You know, maybe uh, someone didn't show up that, or maybe kind. something had to get cut out because it, you know, because you, 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 you get we get so spoiled with our content now that when you watch when people watch something, they just think. 
oh, well, that's all there was. Everything I'm seeing is all there was. It's like, well, you don't know what was cut out. You don't know what problems they ran up against. You should be in a, you should be a, you should run a studio or be a producer, whatever. I mean, you are, but, but I think the biggest challenge, and I always tell this to the executives who, who, who I work, who, who work for me, the biggest challenge is we all see so much material and you must read and watch looking for good not bad yeah you must when yeah. you, we get new material when we get a new script when we're seeing a new movie you have to look for what it's so easy to be like nah, 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 be <laughs> bitchy about it you have to look for what you're that, the reason that people miss you know our company is built on scripts and movies that people have missed the purge paranormal activity the visit unfriended it, it goes it, Get out. Oh, the visit it goes was great, on, too. It goes on and on. The visit was great. But all of those th- movies, whether we saw them as rough cuts or we read them as scripts, were had been passed around and, and passed on. And they were passed on because you you get worn down and you just say, ah, this is that, that, that. And you, I have amazing pass emails, which I won't say from who, but on Get Out. Like Get Out, people oh, who passed on Get Out, which is kind of – which I should frame and put in my office. Mostly as a reminder, <laughs> not as we're so great, but as a reminder of exactly what you said, of like you have to look for the good and stuff before you look for the bad. I think it's really important. I was so excited. Jordan did the podcast the day of the premiere. And I had oh seen it the night God. before. Oh, my God. And I was saying to him, like, this movie is fucking am- like amazing. Like one of the best – it, it's, it even transcends – even just calling it a horror movie is, is putting it too much in a box. And he said, oh, you know, I, that, that's where he kind of first talked about the idea of a social thriller. I'm like, yeah, what a fucking yeah, great – Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's a right. horror movie that actually has a real message? I mean beyond the message of 80s horror films, which were oddly religious, like yeah, don't have ones. premarital sex, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, right. you know, right. uh, whatever. It, it, don't desecrate, uh, you know, a church or whatever. Right. Uh, but – but like like a real like a real messaging behind it that made it so special, and then seeing what happened with that movie, I was so excited for him, and not not surprised at all. Yeah. But I mean, it it, it takes a real you you need someone like you in that position, and it's it, it's just why da- it's just why data alone doesn't oh, hold water because it's the death of stu- con- studios yeah. running like marketing divisions running uh, studios and figuring yeah. out what demos and this and that. It's like you need a human voice to curate and and see what's special and human about those yeah. specific stories. And I feel like it would have been so easy for something like Get Out to have been washed over by uh, by yeah. uh, by demographic totally. uh, programming or, yeah. or marketing. Data is the death of quality. It yes. really is. And 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 it's and and another. Thing Thing, just in fairness, it's very, it, which is tied to the low budgets. It makes me sound much smarter than I, or makes me sound much more of a rebel uh, than or an outlier than I than I am. Because again, it's tied to low budgets. Like everyone is always like, low budget's so profitable. That's great. That's that's true. That's what keeps the lights on. And by the way, profit is very important to us. But it's not what's driving it. Low budgets keep us able to have the ability to say yes to get out you know that's what low budgets do low budgets keep our for our make it make me allow me to read something or look at something and say hey this is weird it may not be commercial i mean how many ways wrong could crime is legal for 12 hours a year like think of all the versions of that <laughs> think of all the versions of that movie that could have been horrible right and so i didn't read that saying my god this is gonna the purge is gonna be but i read it saying Never seen it before. Yeah. It's weird. It feels like there's there's no comp to it. 
Let's make it yeah. because it's so cheap. Right. You know, as soon as we start playing in, in 80 million, 60, 80, 100 million, you can, I would never make, if, the, if I was running a studio and The Purge was sent to me and it was a $20 million movie, I would never make it in a million years. It would be crazy to make it. Right. So that's part, it's, it's a, those things are really connected in our But the other great thing too is that low doing. budgets foster creativity because you have to totally. problem solve. Totally. You know, once you're in a position where you can just throw money at stuff. You get lazy. You get lazy because you, get lazy. you yeah, we'll just fix yeah. that. We'll just yeah. add that. Whatever. We'll shoot, you know. You get lazy. And, and when you don't have a lot of money and you don't have a lot of time to shoot and you don't have a... It's like, well, I guess we really need to figure out how to make this work. And that's what I think is really part of the magic of that genre is, you know, when you can figure out how to make it work. That's what is, makes it so special. We were in prep on Get Out, and it was it was December twenty sixth. I remember this, and and we were going to shoot in California, and we lost the rebate. It was nobody's. It was a, no, no one's fault or anything. It was just we just we just lost the rebate, and we couldn't hit our number. And we were shooting in like two or three weeks, and we had to move the movie from shooting in L.A. to shooting in Alabama, and we were starting shooting in. 15 days or something Jeez. and I called Jordan on December t- I think it was actually Christmas night I think it was the night of Christmas <laughs> I called Christmas. Jordan I said I have a guy yeah I have a Christmas present for you or Boxer's Day present the next day <laughs> and I said I said here's the situation we lost the rebate which by the way it was no one's fault if it, except if it was any fault it was my fault it ain't his job to deal with the rebates. It's the right. producer and the production company. So, so as far as that, as far as Jordan's concerned, like it's my fault, and not only is it my fault, but you're going to have to pay for it because we can't shoot in California anymore. <laughs> so we're going to have to move to Alabama. And you know, he never, he just he he didn't raise his voice. He was never angry at me. He said, "Okay." He said, "Let me think about it for a day, and I'm going to call you back, and we're going to figure out how we do this." He called me the next day. And he said, I know how we can do it. And we're going to sc- – they started scouting immediately. We moved the whole production. I think the movie is way better as a result. Again, I, it was a bad mess up on our part. But to be nimble and to be able to think that way, it, 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 I totally agree with you that it makes for better makes for better entertainment. It doesn't necessarily make for an easier process. No. It's certainly a lot harder to do with less money. But I think it makes for a better result. But also it, it, it really underscores the idea of what makes a successful person or what makes something successful is, you know, there will never be any end to the hurdles or the stonewalling or anything. Yeah. But when people, you know, even if you get pissed for a minute, the people who go, okay, and ask the good questions of how, then how could we make this work? Right. As opposed to saying like, this fucking sucks. sucks. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Everything sucks. Of yeah. course this happened to yeah. me. Yeah. It's fucking Eugene Grace yeah. all over again. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's asking those questions of like, how do we solve these problems? Yeah. And it, you yeah. know, it, because honestly, this idea that I keep coming back to is, is, is I keep saying to people is like, there's no artistry in perfection. It's no. like the best things, the, mo- the things with the most personality are unique and have flaws and mm. it's figuring out how to bake those in and make it work. And, totally. that, and that's, where, that's where the really special stuff comes 100%, from. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And again, it's, I think it's all tied to, tied to being able to take chances and the way you do that is by not spending a lot of money. Right. Is, is there something to like, you know, you so you have the purge, which is like you know is gonna be in theaters when you're you're making it. No, and, not true. We don't make oh, really? any of our movies like that. Okay. Only sequels. So every time we do a sequel, we know we have a release date and we know it's gonna be in theaters. Originals, no, because that would take away what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Because if you if you made an original movie and you, it doesn't matter if you're spending the m- money on the budget or the marketing; it's still spending money. So if we made the purge for we, the first purge was three two point eight million dollars, and we had a release date, 
with the studio, that's a $30 million thing. Yeah. So the decision for the studio, it's not a $3 million, It's a $33 million decision. doesn't matter. So I don't want to release when I make an original movie. It's part of the whole way we maintain independence and freedom is – there's no pressure on the studio to decide if they're going to release the movie or not until the movie is finished. If we force them to say you have to do a wide yeah. release before we started, that would force them to, again, have to make take away a lot of the chances that we take by not having that commitment up front. And so, we, oh, uh, go ahead. Jim. Well, so then a movie like Creep, uh, which has a sequel coming out soon. Yeah, Creep too. Yeah, is, is Creep is, again? Oh, is that Duplass? The Duplass? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 With, uh, Patrick Great Bryce. Life. Right, right, yeah, right, exactly. right, right. Um, and so it's like, is is Creep two going to have a theatrical? No. Run? So Creep, same thing. I wanted. I when I first saw, I first saw. I think it was a twenty minute version or a fifty minute version of Creep, and I wanted a wide release for the first Creep. Yeah. Then I actually, when the movie was finished and we all watched it together, we actually, it's not like I, there are plenty of times I've tried to get a wide release and haven't succeeded. Yeah. On that movie, we all kind of agreed. I think, I think it's better suited for, it was Netflix at the time. I think actually that's not true. We screened the movie at South by Southwest. We didn't get an offer for a wide release. I didn't push a wide release in the movie because yeah. I felt like the movie is a, a little too quirky to have yeah. a 3,000 screen release. But then we got a great, terrific deal from Netflix and we're making the next one and everyone made a little bit of money. And that's, and, and you know, we do that a lot. We did this, Mike Flanagan is an amazing filmmaker and he did the second Ouija movie for us, which, which I thought was, was excellent. Um, he did a movie for us called Hush. Mm. Hush. Yeah, I remember Hush. Hush. In my bones should have been a wide release movie, and there were certain circumstances around the market and certain other things, and I couldn't I couldn't get a wide release for it. I just, I just couldn't do it. But that's a movie I tried. Yeah. I couldn't do it. We sold it to Netflix, and uh, you know Netflix now you know they took Mike Flanagan forever. He's making five hundred things for Netflix, but uh, <laughs> so it did very well for them. It Isn't did very creep well for them. like creeps like seventy eight minutes long or something? It is, it is yeah, it's pretty short. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so most of our movies about eighty one. But you know what's great about that, though? <laughs> you know, cheap means a short movie. We, and by the way, there's not a lot on the editing floor. Like what, what we shot is what what you saw is what we shot. It yeah, used to. Like I remember, yeah. I remember, like you know, like going to the video like animation you, when you have to go to when you'd have to go to the video store and you go to the video store. That was sort of a weird understood metric that if a movie was under 90 minutes, you go, oh, I don't know if this is going to be that great. You know, like, and, but it doesn't mean that anymore. It doesn't mean that anymore. Yeah. And what I loved about Creep is it's like. Well, that's how long it took to tell the story. Tell the story. Yeah. yeah, right. It, it was as long as it needed to be, right. which was about 78 minutes. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, the fun thing about um, digital platforms is you really you can have a 78-minute movie. When we have a theatrical movie, there's still um, – international television deals require a minimum length of 81 minutes. Now, that includes credits. So you could have a 75-minute movie <laughs> and a long credit sequence. And by the way, we've had quite a few of those. But you still have to hit that 81-minute mark when you're going a traditional theatrical release. But on – Digital, if it's a if it's an Amazon or Netflix or all those, it doesn't matter, which is wow. fun. At what point in the process does does the studio decide they're going to like get behind it and and send it out uh, for release? So the way we do it is we we make the movie you know kind of off the grid, and then I usually test the movie with the filmmaker without the studio. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, at that point we're kind of all on the same page, and I'll call up the studio and say, "Hey, listen, we hope every movie that we make." Uh, every movie that we make at a certain we, – we, sometimes we make $3 million movies and that's different. But every movie that we make at a 4 to $5 million zone, we are going for a wide release. That's what we want. We don't always get there. So we, we, I finish the movie. We screen it with the director. And, and like I said, 99 times out of 100, I'll say to the director, you got it here and I'm going to 
work with the studio and, and try and get them to confirm this. Or I'll say, you know what? This is corkier than we all thought. It doesn't feel that mainstream and it should be – it's better suited to 10 screens or 100 screens or Netflix or whatever. And we have that conversation then. So it's, it's, it's almost – it's actually never contentious with, with the studio for this other reason, which is – so then I – if I think it's wide release, call up my partners at Universal. We screen the movie for them and we've agreed every single time – We've had we've done twenty four movies, twenty four wide releases together. We've agreed every single time except once. So when if I don't agree with Universal, so in five years I haven't agreed one time, right? So if I don't agree with Universal, I don't know if it's contractual or not, but they're <laughs> kind enough to say if if you think it's a wide release and we don't, show it to other people, and we'll 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 let it go and nice. we'll let someone else, which is a terrific thing. Wow. So on this one movie, I said it's a wide release. You guys are wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna use my clause or whatever. Again, I don't even know if it's a clause or not, but there we have a very <laughs> easy relationship. And uh, I showed it to um, ten other the-, the all the theatrical distributors. They all passed. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back to Universal and say, yeah. "Well, the other ten the other ten studios agree with you too." And uh, sorry about that. Oh, I was and, just uh, kidding about that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you think I, I, was didn't, I wasn't that passionate yeah. about it. I just I just made calls like a crazy person for the last two weeks. Are you uh, Are you doing Halloween with Danny McBride? Is that yes, you? I oh, I'm so excited. excited. Um, what? And, and David Gordon Green. Yes, oh, I, David directing. Gordon Green's directing. David and Danny wrote it. That's insane. And uh, yeah, it's gonna come out next October. God damn it. Is it already I, shot? I think they're shooting no, no, it this no, year. No, 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 no. I think Danny John Carpenter's involved. Just John Carpenter's exec- No, 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 no. He's executive producing. Not tangential. That's crazy. No, he was a key for me, for us to do it. I was very, very important to me that, uh, that he do it. It's kind of a funny story. And, uh, and they were, they're, they're, obviously there's um, Malik and Trankus and the company Trankus has produced every Halloween, every Halloween movie. And they're just, Halloween is their whole thing. And they were kind enough to kind of let us, let us partner with them, which was great. And then Miramax owns the rights also because the Weinstein, because Dimension had distributed a long time. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I said to, um, I said to Miramax and I said to, to Malik, I said, look, I, I'm so flattered. I would love to do this, but I really don't want to do it without John. It just doesn't feel right. And they said, we agree. You know, we tried to get John. We tried to get him on board, but, uh, but we couldn't do it. And I said, well, let me, let me give it a shot. And I, um, I had the most hilarious meeting with John Carpenter. I'd never met him before. And I went, went over to his office and I sat with him. The meeting started at 3 o'clock and I got there at like 3.01. And I walked out at 3.15. And it was 15 minutes long. He was super nice, but it was very to the point. You know what yeah. I mean? And it was very to the point. And I didn't know. I just had no idea. It wasn't bad, but it. Well, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And, and I called his aide, the agent who set up the meeting. And I said, I said, I, I said, it's. Oh, she said it's over. I said, yeah, it, it's over. He said, well, she said, well, he's very quick. I, which I am too, but not that quick. Right. And uh, and uh, and uh, and anyway, I said, I have no idea. Anyway, 15 minutes later. They, we we must have been. I don't know what it was. Something in the tea. But Sounds he like he's on a fifteen minute cycle. He said, "I yeah, yeah. do it." He's on a fifteen minute every, cycle. Every thirty minutes, minutes later, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's yeah. on a fifteen minute cycle. <laughs> but anyway, crazy. then he agreed to to come on as an executive producer, and, and and it's been very very fun actually working with him and his wife, and terrific. That's fantastic. And I think he's going to do the music for. The I was movie. just about to ask yeah. that. Yeah, That'd yeah, be yeah, so yeah. yeah. We really, too. we really, we're almost. I think the deal's not quite done, but it's we're going to make it. And he's got. We I can't. We can't. You have to use. You have to do the music. No, he's gonna he's gonna compose new music. 
Yeah. That's what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because exactly. that's what I was talking Because that's what yeah. he's been mainly focusing yes, on. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's, that's so fantastic. Yeah. yeah I, I think one of the greatest jokes in movies in the in the last decade is in Baby Driver. <laughs> when they go, when he goes, hey, everyone oh, yeah. put on Michael Myers masks and they show yeah. up with Austin Powers. It's Mike uh, Myers. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> no. Let's also get Halloween masks. These are Halloween masks. <laughs> no, <laughs> Mike Myers. This is Mike Myers. <laughs> no, the guy in the mask. What is he? Jason? Oh, Jason. No, that's right. I'd love to yeah. make a movie. And you guys are doing a uh, universal uh, horror. Um, we're like doing days, this right? thing, which I've been trying to do for a long time. Which we've done over the years. We've done a movie here and there with John Murdy, who, who runs Universal Horror Nights. Is a great, amazing horror loving guy. And uh, I've always wanted to do the Blumhouse of horrors. The horrors of Blumhouse, technically, is the name. And uh, so we we have uh, we have four. We have Insidious. We have Happy Death Day. We have Sinister, and we have The Purge. Yeah. Are all in a in a Blumhouse of horrors. That's so great. At, well, they you do know, the in this purge. one thing. Which we go every year. They did purge they always, last year. Yeah, yeah, they did. Where you walk by the airplane crash. In that scare zone. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. fucking great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, and the thing that is crazy to me is that the, the record we're recording this in September, September 12th. In three days, Halloween Horror Night starts. It's already starting? I'm going. Yeah. Friday, oh, opening night, I'm going. I, I'm the going. only reason I'm not going is because uh, I'm going to Hall & Oates. <laughs> oh, Hall & Oates? Hall & Oates Tears for Fears. Hall & Oates and Tears for Fears are playing at Staples Center. Staples, how fun. I'm so good. I love Hall & I know. Yeah. Oh. And I'm bummed yeah. that I'm going to miss uh, horror. I mean, I'm going to, I'm still going to, we're still going to go to horror night. Just not opening night. We're going to go to the o- yeah. opening yeah. night. Yeah. But I was yeah. there yesterday um, checking everything out. It looks really cool. So, so you have I... all the, those are all set up this year. Happy Death Day. And, and all, all this year. And it's called, it's called the Horrors of Blumhouse. One of the mazes is the Horrors of Blumhouse. Oh, and it has three fantastic. movies in it. The Insidious, there's a, the fourth Insidious movie comes out at the beginning of January. There's a separate Insidious maze, but the Horrors of Blumhouse has the Purge, Sinister, and Happy Death Day, yeah. all in one thing. It's like a good lineup of mazes this year. It's, it, it was is, almost like right? it felt like a festival being announced because it's like, you know, there was like the horrors of Blumhouse, <laughs> Ash vs. Evil Dead. It was just like, it was like, look at this lineup. It was, yeah. Yeah, look at these I'm, guys. This yeah. is great. Looking we did a live it. event about six years ago uh, called the Blumhouse of Horrors in downtown in downtown LA, which was which was great and a lot of fun. And over the years, over in October, we've done various live events, successfully losing money every single time. But, it's, but they're very but fun. Had fun. Very hard to make make money in a live event, but yeah. they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. Oh, man, yeah. we should have you. Oh, I, it's probably too expensive and too lawyery, but uh, I made a music comedy Comic-Con festival this year in Northern California at the Shoreline Amphitheater. We're going to do it again next year. We should totally have a haunted house there, yeah. like a Blumhouse oh haunted house there Well, we year. could do it. We could do it. No, it's not. Legally, it's not hard. Oh, that's fantastic. We, 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 we were good, kids at a festival would love it, too, because it's hot outside and sunny. You go inside the house, you get in the shade. It's going to be a long line for that. that we're in. Be, yeah, that'd be great. so much fun. Where is it in Northern California? Where? At the Shoreline Amphitheater. It's at Silicon Valley in Mountain oh, View. Oh, very cool. And, yeah, and very it's a music cool. festival at night and a comedy festival in the afternoon, but the the whole the whole daytime stuff is a comic con so it's all wow. comic con programmed in the middle yeah. of it wow oh, that'd, be, that'd be so much fun awesome i awesome. mean this is you know it, it, what would you say your how how would you describe your job like now that you've been doing this for a while because it, the amount of projects you have going on simultaneously and people say i'm busy but i look at everything that blumhouse puts out and then you have separate like separate Sub studios within Blumhouse. <laughs> yeah. How do you fucking run all of that? How do, how do you scale but still maintain the personal quality that, which is a very difficult thing to do when you're scaling up, yeah. is not diluting the voice and making sure that it's still that you're still involved in all of it. Well, I think about that every second of every day. For me, the most fun I have 
um, doing what I do is is the building part. I just think I just get such – it's so interesting. It's so hard. Um, not hard in woe is me, but it's a challenge that I love because it keeps your my brain buzzing all the time. Um, I really fundamentally believe in uh, delegating. So I really have most of the people who've worked at the company have worked there a long time. We I really believe in in and we had two, a one wonderful exception with the people who run the television company, but generally the senior executives have been grown up from the from the started as assistants. So they really understand the DNA of the company. And I really and again, you know, I, I, not to I, it sound like a low budget nut, but I am a low budget nut. And I guess that's you know again, it's like if someone who I've worked with for a long time and who I know and who I believe in and who I really understand and they're coming in saying I can't live if we don't do this, they're inexpensive, so we do it. Right. You know, yeah. and 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 if that person makes four wrong bats they don't work at the company anymore sure, right? sure, sure. <laughs> but but everyone gets a few misses including myself and and so a big way that i do it is is delegating i'm super careful about my time i'm sure like you are too sure. you know i really watch my time i've got a young young daughter too so i'm so that's very important to me that i juggle my family time too but um but the challenge of that is 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 really one of the things that drive me where am i you have to Check your ego, like you were saying. I just wrote this. I just read this great book called um, "Ego Is the Enemy." Have you oh, heard, have you heard wow. of that book? No, it but just I got to read it. Out. It's very good. I mean, it's 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 a good book. It's not a great book, but it's an interesting. It's an interesting. It was interesting for me. And you have to kind of put your ego aside and and say, what am I really needed for? Right? What am I? Where am I really needed? More often, I spend time on the projects that aren't going well than the ones that are. Mm-hmm. Right? Because those are the ones that need my need my need extra attention. Um, but I'm very very aware of what I'm doing and how I'm spending my time all day long. And if my my office, you know, my assistants, if you were you were ta- talking to them, they would say the you know, they would say probably get cranky about a lot. But the thing that I get most cranky about is when the, my time is messed up or wasted. Sure, because um, um, it just unseats the everything, unseats everything in the day. It has it this weird everything. domino effect of like then you're late for that, and then the, and then it just carries out throughout can, the rest yeah, of the day. It messes everything up. Um, we have uh, you know Cooper Samuelson who runs the movie business has been there a, a long long time the production side, and Charles Layton who's kind of the business partner and helps build everything. So it's a great team. And then the the team I was talking about in TV is. Uh, uh, Jeremy and Marcy, uh, Marcy Wiseman and Jeremy Gold, who who are senior television executives, who I've spent a long time with. And it was funny. I was meeting with them this morning, and they were running through the TV slate, and they started justifying a decision. And I interrupted um, Marcy or Jeremy at the time. I said, you don't, don't justify it. I said, I, I get it. I get it. You did this. You understand why. Move on. And um, so all those things helped me. But that's 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 the... That's the challenge that I live every day, and and you know so, so far it's going great. But the but where I see the company and eventually and where it is now are very different, and with, whether I get there or not remains to be seen. What is it that I you want to do? I'd like to. Um, our television company is not nearly as mature as our movie company, so I'd really like to get the TV business up to the movie business. Um, our we have a little, very nascent distribution company called Tilt, which is, um, you know, hit a few singles at best, mm-hmm. and I'd like to really figure that part out again in terms of talking to a distribution executive. If I do it too, and I don't, 
and I'm not doing it well, it's hard to look them in the eye and say, I think you should do this and do that, right? right? Yeah. Um, we're playing with distribution in a, ver- in a relative, not very, but relatively inexpensive way. So I, we keep taking shots. So I'd like to, I'd like to get that propped up. Eventually, I always make a joke, and this, 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 I mean, it's not really a joke, but it, it's a dream uh, that may or may not happen depending not on what we do, but kind of on outside forces. But I do feel like it would be cool to have an argument about, like, let's say the reboot of Paranormal Activity we're making right. it in t- eight years. And it's like, there's half the room saying we should open that on like uh, if there's a Blumhouse channel on Apple TV or whatever and half the room is saying we should go theatrically and the Blumhouse channel wins. Now we're nowhere near that right now right. but that would, that's something that I think about in the future and it's interesting I to mean me. a Blumhouse channel makes a lot of sense because it, it finding I mean I just assume that coming up with event style movies that people actually leave their house for and go park and get out and deal with other people on their phones in the fucking theater I mean it 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 seems like more and more there are less reasons for people yeah. to leave their house, and it's harder yeah. and harder and harder to get people to go to yeah. to a movie theater. So, mm-hmm. and, and really, when you have that much of a body of work, you're essentially like a network in yeah. a way. Yeah, and people know what the brand is, mm-hmm. so why why not? I mean, I think it makes a lot of, especially in. in when who fucking knows what's going to be an eight? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Exactly. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We won't, there won't even be movies. You'll just yeah. take. You'll just then. You'll just scan an app in front of your eyes, and you'll just have the experience it's of having seen recall. something. Yeah, yeah it's exactly yeah. a movie. will take one minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but instead of having yeah. to go to Recall Industries, it's just yeah. an app. It just yeah. like flashes. Exactly. Like, oh, that yeah. was great. I saw that yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it took a minute to watch. I mean, I'm, I'm, I definitely, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of. I'm sure there's some technology that they're talking about at the Kurzweil at Singularity University where they're like, oh, they'll just flash something in your, and then you'll just get the subconscious experience yeah. of whatever that thing was. Yeah. yeah. But but getting people to experience things is, uh, you know, who knows where that's going to be in eight years? It, that's why it's so hard to go. Well, here's what we're going to do because you just it's impossible to know. know where everything's going to go at that point. No. But when you're watching something, if you if you come in or you're whether something is done or whether you come in to put out fires. What are the essential questions that you're asking to try to fix it or make sure that it stays on track? What is it that you are trying to feel that it, it like we're on the right track now? I find so often it's communi- it's a communication issue. Like I, like people are scared to talk to us. I'm very direct, as you could tell. I'm very direct. I'm very direct with the with the directors. I'm very direct with the talent. That's part of the thing of like when you sit down and we talk about making your movie. I'm like it's either going to get released on three thousand screens, a hundred screens, or on fucking Netflix, right. you know, that's it. Like it, that's that's the the deal that you're making, and I'm very very clear and direct all the way through the process. And for me, usually when it goes off track, it's someone's trying to protect someone else's feelings, and 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 they, they, it, and, and the message gets all muddled. And so and so more often than not, I just I call the director, I call the other producer, I call the actor. I'm I just. Dive in, and I learned that from my mother. You know, and, and I have to say, she 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 taught me very well in that regard. It's like if you have something to go, you know, you just face it and deal with it and deal with the consequences of it. And I and I really, the longer that I do this, I believe that more and more. And if you have bad news for someone, give them the bad news quickly. Give it to them first. Don't hold it back. Oh yeah. And usually, that's that's. More often than not, that's what it is. It's a communications issue. But what about from a story perspective? Like if you're watching something and it's not working. 
what is it that you are what, 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 what sort of the what are some of the broader questions that you're asking to try to make to, to keep a story in line to if, fix if you, a movie yeah if you watch it and you go I don't know something's missing like what is it that you I know it's not just one thing the same thing every time but what are some of the fundamental well the questions? fundamental thing I do which uh, you know and Get Out is a great example of this we, we, uh, we screen get we tested Get Out all my, almost all my directors and if it's not the director it's another producer have final cut because I don't believe you can ask someone to work for free and bet on themselves and then say, you, have to, you only get paid if your movie works, but I'm gonna, I have the right to force you to do what I want you to do. Because then it's not their point of view. It's no, your point of view. No, no. Right. So our directors have final cut. Now, I found when you relinquish creative control to your directors, they want our input more than anything else because they don't have to do it. So they're smart. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? Casting, this, that, everything else. Jordan had final cut on Get Out. And we screened the movie. And at the end of the movie, Dan, the lead character – uh, winds up in jail, and the movie. Everyone's loving the movie, but then at the end, he's in, you know he the cops. It's not the security guard. The cops pull up. They see a black guy on a on a dead white girl, and they throw him in jail. There's a scene with him in jail. Oh and, shit! Yeah, that's the, the end of the movie. Yeah. The audience is a super. But it's like the, one of the great things about the movie is that no matter what color, breed, or kind of human being you are you love that guy at right, the end yeah. of the movie you love him and you can't and I the movie on I was like I couldn't even hold my myself back I said Jordan you cannot put him in jail <laughs> you cannot do this and all these people around me looked at me like what are you saying like why would you say that like what are you saying now and, and it just kind of bubbled out of me and Jordan again to his credit and because he's he acts exactly like you described a great you know didn't be like ah the blum this asshole's trying to make a happy ending on my movie he was like let me think about it and he came up with a brilliant inspired end to the movie and it's a long way to answer your question but what I like to do is point out a problem that I have and tell the the filmmaker why I have the problem but not try and solve it for them I think that's I think that's uh, I'm not one of my greatest strengths as someone who runs uh, this company is that I do not want to be a writer and I do not want to be a director and I would be a terrible Definitely a terrible writer. And the worst director. I would just be so bad at it. And I'm, not a, I'm not frustrated about that. Like yeah. I don't look, I look at the director on set and I say, thank God that is not me. Like, right. I don't want to be that person. And, and that's a great benefit as a producer. It's a huge benefit to me. I don't want to do that job. And yeah. I wouldn't be good at that job. But I am good at saying, looking at a television show or a movie or a script and saying, this is not working for me. Here's why it's not working. It doesn't make me feel good. I fell in love with this lead character. Now you're putting him in jail. I feel like you cheated me. You can't do that. <laughs> and and letting the director um, work with us. We had a lot of conversations with uh, Joel Edgerton. We did The Gift. And uh, when we did The Gift, we, were, we couldn't get the ending right. Another great and, movie. Uh, and yeah, terrific movie. Joel did such a good job on that movie. And uh, another movie, by the way, that everyone passed on for three years. And then wow. The Gift was in the same category. And uh, everyone passed on the script. And um, And there was a Big, big conversation about the end. In that in that movie, Joel held it. I wanted it to be much more black and white, and Joel wanted it to be gray, very gray. And we wound up in the middle, and the middle was right. Joel was right. Joel was right to push back. And I, I'm glad he didn't do exactly what I wanted to do. But but there's that too. You have to be comfortable. Set, realizing when you're going into it that you may I have to be comfortable that I may not get my way you know right. I have when you give the director final cut they have final cut right so there's a version where Jordan could have said you know what Jason I love you I disagree 
and I want this guy in jail, and that's going to be the movie. And then I have to be at peace with that. Right. It doesn't mean I don't pull my hair out, but I have no, to live with but, it. But it, but it is really important to empower the creators because you know I, I always I think if you're gonna if you're gonna hire someone and entrust them to do something and carry out their creative vision. Then it doesn't it doesn't really imbue them with the trust if you go but the, but do it this no, way it's no, like oh well that's no. not that's not at all then why hire that then, person yeah, exactly. why, why just they gotta have yeah. confidence to do exactly what like they were aiming to do in the first place yeah. if they start to second yeah. guess themselves they'll start to you know, chip yeah. away at it and again, and again you know giving final cut when the movies are inexpensive is a lot easier than giving it when the movies are expensive yeah so of I, I, I'm you know because I'm because I'm such a horror fan uh, I'm I think I'm gonna try to make a horror movie. And I, I'm, we're producing it. What? <laughs> we're making it. What do you mean? Do you have a script? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to write a script with someone. Uh, are you kidding? No, I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, you waited till the end of the interview to bring this up. <laughs> this is, should have been the opening thing. My God, I was about we're to making ask you. it. Are okay. you going to direct it? I was yes, thinking about it. You should direct it. I, you know, you I have never, to direct it. I never thought I wanted to direct, but you have to every time it. I see Jordan Peele, he goes, "You should direct," and I go, "I you, don't think I could." And you he goes, could. "No, no, no, you should. You he, should." He, we agree. You, uh, you can direct it. But I, but I, but I, I was gonna bring. I brought it up because I was gonna ask you, like, should I go down this path of trying to totally? But it, when we're gonna help you. Okay. <laughs> when, when, when is my script? Born ready? on the nerd. When podcast? is my script ready? And who is who is your? Are you allowed to say who your writing partner is? Um, I'll say, and then if she's. Not cool with it, it, then I'll cut it out. out. But it's uh, Heather Ann Campbell. Oh, she's awesome. Heather is that? Who is that? Who is that? Heather is a brilliant writer performer. She's actually on Whose Line Is It Anyway all the time. But she's also I know who that is. She's a fucking brilliant. Yes, and also yes, yes, yes. a horror fanatic and an anime fanatic, and just like the yeah, fucking one of the smartest. We're, we're making the movie. God damn it! Okay, <laughs> send me that script. Okay, well we gotta write it, but we have a concept. <laughs> okay, it was her okay. concept. That's great. And uh, and I said, let's just fucking make a horror movie. That's and she great. was like, yeah, let's do it. That's great. That's but awesome. I, but the, the 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 purge in a way, you know, kind of everyone talked about Get Out as when Get Out was much more overt. But the purge is really about. And the James and his wife and his his young daughter live in Staten Island. And James is a very um, very interested in in civic duty and community, and you know is 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 very political. And James was very um, upset, like everyone was upset with 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 the school shooting in Connecticut. And I think then a lot of people were also even more upset about the idea that one of the responses to the school shooting in Connecticut or school shootings generally is to put a guard in a school with a gun. And that just seems like so wrong-headed like you you before you get rid of guns instead of getting rid of guns you're going to put a guard in a school with a gun really yeah and so the purge was really the the first purge and now it it's it's become more about class and race but the first purge was really about like if you're going to do that let's make crime what about what about we just like crime well, like crime be legal 12 hours a year and what about poor people shoot each other so there is no more unemployment right. and there are no more poor people you know and that that was very much understood in Europe. In in France, the purge is called America's Nightmare. Um, <laughs> that's the literal translation. That's what it is. That's it. That's it. I have the poster. America's, America's Nightmare. Um, America's <laughs> Nightmare. But uh, but uh, but you know, in America, some people got that, and some people thought it was just a, just a silly horror movie, and some people thought it was like a revenge. Like the purge is a great idea. Those people I was worried about. Um, but uh, but. Uh, 
But uh, but oh, and I know what I was why I was bringing this up. But but there's a great it, you know scary movie is such a fun skin to put a family drama in or a social thriller in. You know, I, I would just I, this is a long way of saying I cannot wait to read the script. And it's a great genre to, especially if you know so much about it or such a fan. It's a great way to play around well, play yeah. around with all these other themes. But I'm also excited to try the idea of like. You know, when I watch stuff, when we watch stuff, it's so easy to armchair critic and go, oh, they should have done this or they should have done that. And like I said, I am very forgiving, but I'm so fascinated to see what the process is yeah. to see like, oh, motherfucker, it's not, you know, it's not it's tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sinister. Um, um, the reason Ethan did – Ethan doesn't like horror movies and, and Ethan, Ethan did Sinister and now he's – I've converted him completely but he really didn't like them. And he read Sinister and he's he read – what I love him. He's you know very, very good friends. We've done a lot of movies together and he said uh, – and what he saw was a Sundance movie about a guy who's married and, and has, a, has, has a kid or two kids and uh, chooses his career over his – Family, right? right. He, he endangers his family by moving into a house that he moves into because he needs a he needs a new hit. He's had a hit novel ten years ago. Yeah. He did his In Cold Blood. He wants to write another hit. He wants to write another hit book. And the way to write a hit book is to move into this house. And he endangers his family by doing it. And really, for him, it was a movie about choosing your career over your family or the struggle that 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 people have with that. And I think that is another. It doesn't have to be gun control or race. You know, it can be that too. It can be yeah. a quiet theme. But that's about making it about. You know, John, John, when John Stewart was doing the Daily Show, uh, he had this. He he didn't say this on the Daily Show, but he would say when you know developing other projects, he would say, you know, make it about something. Yes. And so when a horror movie isn't just. I mean, there are some that yeah. are really funny. It's like you know, Devil's Rejects is great because it's just like, oh, they just go on a killing spree. It's a bloodbath. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what that is. Yeah, but. When they, but it, but for the most part, like when something is about something, is, is like there's really some substance to it. That's when it really comes alive, and that's, you I really agree. you come yeah. away from it going, "Fuck!" I feel like you feel exhilarated because yeah. horror is like animation in the sense that you can you can convey ideas that you couldn't just come out and say because there's a level of separation, hundred percent, you know, in that sort of or even sci-fi in that Roddenberry way of like yeah. I'm going to tackle social issues, a hundred percent, or you know, oh by the way, I don't know if you ever saw. Do you watch Rick and Morty? There's a no. Rick and Morty is probably the best show on television, and they did a fucking phenomenal purge. Episode. Oh, I did see that. James said that to me. Yes. That's why it was it sounding familiar. Yes. James said it to me, which was incredible. Yes. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Yeah, James said that but to it, me. But isn't it kind it's of amazing? It is kind it's of amazing. interesting that so many of these things that you've been involved with have just become conventions. Like yeah, pur- a purge cool. is like a, ver- it, you know, that's sort of like, oh, we're going to do a purging. It's almost a verb or, or found footage, you know, like doing, you know, like really exploring that. Do you think found? Do you think there's any space left in found footage? No, I mean, I hope not. Jesus, I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> is yes. Two going to be because technically, yes, Creep, found creep Two is found footage. Um, um, I mean, I, 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 Creep Two is a, actually a good example. I think the only time, if some, I think the only time to do a movie in found footage is if the story makes no sense. Unless it's found footage, that's a great right? way to think about so, it. So, so if if you can do it in any other way, don't do found footage. If the story <laughs> yeah. only makes sense by doing it as a found footage story, then of course that's how you have to do it. But it's 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 just so tired. Well, there is, and also you you get you get halfway into a found footage movie, and you go, 
Why wouldn't you fucking put the camera down? Oh, shit, that's the like, hardest thing we had. Ever. We made six paranormal activity movies. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. are you kidding? We wanted to blow our brains out. It's like, wait, you know how many times you had this conversation? You're dying. Why is he holding the yeah. camera? That was, We had that conversation for six years. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. It, it's impossible. It, it makes sucks. no sense that horror movies are found footage. It makes no sense. We, had, we, we, we went to the greatest lengths to justify the camera. Remember we had the in paranormals, we started the pinwheel of security yep, yeah. cameras? Yep. That's why we started security cameras because you don't the, at the time the the thing that the viewer wants to see the action you can never justify uh, keeping a camera on. Yeah, I thought and Bobcat so we went crazy. Bobcat did that. a pretty good version of uh, his uh, Willow Creek. Willow Creek. His, his, uh, Willow Creek. Creek. But like yeah. it's because a guy desperately that's wants to capture. capture the, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. The conceit has to be uh, the conceit of the movie has to be I mean that was the great thing that Oren did with Paranormal the conceit of the movie is I'm gonna fucking show you that you're nuts yeah. and I'm gonna show you that you you cannot film a ghost yeah 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 I mean? um um uh, or prove that a ghost exists or doesn't exist, but uh, but 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 there'll be another found footage. I mean, the new found footage maybe is vertical movies, you know, because that's yeah. where you look on your phone. Like, right. so there'll be a new a new version of it. Right. So new ne- theaters will be built. <laughs> I know the screen or portrait mode. Well, what are they? Would you like do? to see this I mean, movie in portrait right? or landscape in the fucking I feel like screen? That might happen. Over. I don't know. That you know, that's not a terrible. I mean, it is a terrible idea. It'd be really frustrating to watch. Because it'd be like watching a it'd be like watching a portrait version of a video on Facebook, but yeah. in a movie theater where the whole time you're but like, if it were turn the fucking camera, yeah. <laughs> turn it this yeah. way. But that's because I mean you're much younger than I am. But if you if you Not grew that much up, younger. if you grew up watching like this, you would maybe go to a movie theater. It's more natural to see. You might, a yeah, yeah. yeah, you absolutely yeah. might. Yeah. yeah. Um. So as we're wrapping this up, people should absolutely see Happy Death Day Friday, October thirteenth. Thank you. They should go to Horror Nights. And yes, see they should. Blumhouse Land. Blumhouse of Horrors. <laughs> Blumhouse. Oh. Oh, and some, some of the guys you work with uh, that do the Shockwave podcast, Shock Value. Oh, yes. Um, so uh, yes, yes, they, yes. They did a thing called uh, Slashback Video uh, in Burbank, which is they recreated a uh, old 80s um, video store. Oh, I saw that on your oh, Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually more in the pin right now. But like, uh, it's like if you're a fan of horror and stuff like that, it's in Burbank at the Bearded Lady. And uh, while we're plugging, go to Crypt TV run by Jack Davis, which is short form scary stuff online. We're partners with him in Crypt TV. Oh, which fantastic. Is, which is really, really cool. Fantastic. That's our, those, those, are our, those, are our, those are our digital efforts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. 360 <laughs> plug. I appreciate it. That's great. You know, it's been so much fun talking to you and I really Super fun. appreciate it. And I, I can't wait to read the script when it's written when it's written when it's written <laughs> when, it, when it's written well we should probably come in and tell you the idea first before, so you're like this is terrible get you out can of do my that office too. get you can out do of that my too. office you can do that too but uh, okay so those are all the plug things and uh, and thank you for being here awesome thank it was you it an absolute pleasure thank you super fun uh, thank you enjoy thank your you. burrito everyone thank you now leaving nerdist.com enjoy your burrito welcome to Pura the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us in Pura. Promised to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.
You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.